Part One, Chapter Eighteen of War and Peace by Leo Tolstoy, translated by Nathan Haskell Doyle. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Marianne. The card tables were brought out, partners were selected, and the count's guests scattered through the two drawing rooms, the divan room, and the library. The count, having arranged his cards in a fan shape, found it difficult to keep from indulging in his usual after-dinner nap and laughed heartily at everything. The young people, at the countess's instigation, gathered around the clavichord and the harp. Julie, first, by general request, played a piece with variations on the harp, and then she joined with the rest of the girls in urging Natasha and Nikolai, whose musical talent was known to all, to sing something. Natasha was evidently very much flattered by this request, and at the same time it filled her with trepidation, "'What shall we sing?' she asked. "'The fountain?' suggested Nikolai. "'Well, give me the music, quick. "'Boris, come here,' said Natasha. "'But where is Sonya?' She looked around, and seeing that her cousin was nowhere in the room, she started to find her. She ran into Sonya's room, and not finding her there, hastened to the nursery, but she was not there. Natasha then came to the conclusion that Sonya might be in the corridor on the great chest— the great chest in the corridor was the place of mourning for all the young women of the house of Rostov. There, in fact, Sonya was found, in her airy pink frock, all crumpled, lying flat on her face on a dirty striped pillow that belonged to the nurse, and, hiding her face in her hands, was crying as though her heart would break, while her poor, bare shoulders shook under her sobs. Natasha's face, which had been so radiant all through her name-day, suddenly changed, her eyes grew fixed, then her throat contracted, and the corners of her mouth drew down. "'Sonya, what is the matter? Tell me what it is. What is the matter with you? Oh, oh!' And Natasha, opening her large mouth and becoming perfectly ugly, cried like a child, without knowing any reason for it, except that Sonya was crying. Sonya tried to lift up her head, tried to answer— but found it impossible, and hid her face again. Natasha sat down on the blue cushion, and threw her arms around her dear cousin. At length Sonya put forth an effort, sat up, and began to wipe away her tears, saying, "'Nikolenka is going away in a week. His papers have come. He himself told me so. But I should not have wept.' She held out a little piece of paper which she had been reading, it contained the verses which Nikolai had written for her. I should not have wept for that. But you cannot understand. No one can understand. What a noble heart he has. And once more her tears began to flow at the thought of what a noble heart he had. You are happy. I do not envy you. I love you and Boris, too, she said, composing herself by an effort. He is good. For you there are no obstacles. But Nikolai is my cousin. We should have to. The archbishop himself. Else it would be impossible. And that if Mamenka, Sonya always regarded the countess as her mother and called her so, she will say that I am spoiling Nikolai's career, that I am heartless and ungrateful, and she would be right, too. But God is my witness. Here she crossed herself. I love her so, and all of you except only Viera. And why is it? What have I done to her? 
I am so grateful to you that I would gladly make any sacrifice for you. But it's no use. Sonya could say no more, and again she buried her face in the cushion and her hands. Natasha tried to calm her, but it could be seen by her face that she understood all the depth of Sonya's woe. Sonya, she exclaimed, suddenly, as though surmising the actual reason of her cousin's grief, truly, didn't Viera say something to you after dinner? Tell me. Nikolai wrote these verses himself, and I copied off some other ones, and she found them on my table, and said that she was going to show them to Mamenka, and she said, too, that I was ungrateful, that Mamenka would never let him marry me, and that he was going to marry Julie. You saw how he was with her all the time, Natasha. Why should it be so? And again she began to sob, more bitterly than before. Natasha tried to lift her up, threw her arms around her, and smiling through her tears, began to console her. Sonya, don't you believe her, dear heart? Don't believe her. Don't you remember we three and Nikolenka talked together in the divan room after lunch? Why we thought it all out, how it should be. I don't exactly remember how it was, but you know it will be all right, and everything can be arranged. There was Uncle Shinshin's brother married his own cousin, and we are only second cousins, and Boris said that that was perfectly possible. You know I tell him everything, for he is so very clever and so kind, said Natasha. Now, Sonya, don't cry any more, dear dove, sweetheart, Sonya, and she kissed her and laughed merrily. Viera is spiteful, I'm sorry for her, but all will be well, and she won't say anything to Mamenka. Nikolenka himself will tell her, and then again, he doesn't care anything about Julie, and she kissed her on her hair. Sonya jumped up, and again the kitten became lively, its eyes danced, and it was ready, waving its tail, to spring down on its soft little paws and to play with the ball again, as was perfectly natural for it to do. "'Do you think so? Truly? Do you swear it?' said she quickly, smoothing her crumpled dress and hair. "'Truly, I swear it,' replied Natasha, tucking an unruly tuft of curly hair back under her cousin's braid. "'Well, now, let us go and sing the fountain.' come on. But do you know, that stout Pierre who sat opposite me is so amusing, suddenly exclaimed Natasha, stopping short. Oh, it is such fun, and the girl danced along the corridor. Sonya, shaking off some down, and hiding the verses in her bosom, her face all aglow, followed Natasha with light, merry steps along the corridor into the divan room. According to the request of the guests, the young people sang the quartet, entitled The Fountain, which was universally acceptable. Then Nikolai sang a new song which he had just learned. The night is bright, the moon is sinking. How sweet it is to tell one's heart that someone in the world is thinking, My own true only love thou art. That she, her lovely hand, is laying upon the golden harp tonight, while passionate harmonies are swaying her soul and thine to new delight. One day, two days, then paradise. Alas, thy love on her deathbed lies. He had hardly finished singing the last word, when preparations began to be made for dancing, and the musicians made their way into the gallery with a tramping of feet and coughing. 
Pierre was sitting in the drawing-room with Shinshin, who, knowing that he had recently returned from abroad, was trying to induce a political conversation that was exceedingly tedious to the young man. Several others had joined the group. When the music struck up, Natasha went into the drawing-room, and going straight up to Pierre, said, laughing and blushing, "'Mama told me to ask you to join the dancers.' "'I am afraid of spoiling the figures,' said Pierre. "'But if you will act as my teacher,' and he offered his big arm to the dainty damsel, though he was obliged to put it down very low. While the couples were getting their places, and the musicians were tuning up, Pierre sat down with his little lady. Natasha was perfectly delighted. She was going to dance with a big man who had just come from abroad. She sat out in front of everybody, and talked with him, exactly as though she were grown up. In her hand she had a fan which some lady had given her to hold, and with all the self-possession of an accomplished lady of the world, God knows when and where she had learned it, she talked with her cavalier, flirting her fan and smiling behind it. "'Well, well! Do look at her! Do look at her!' said the countess, as she passed through the ballroom and caught sight of Natasha. The girl reddened and laughed. "'Now what is it, Mamma? What would you like? What is there extraordinary about me?' In the midst of the third, Ecouzes, the chairs in the drawing-room, where the Count and Maria Dmitrievna were playing cards, were moved back, and a large number of the distinguished guests and the older people, stretching their cramped limbs after long sitting, and putting their portemonnaies and wallets into their pockets, came into the ballroom. First of all came the Count and Maria Dmitrievna, both with radiant faces. The Count with farcical politeness, as though in ballet fashion, offered the lady his bended arm. Then he straightened himself, and his face lighted with a peculiarly shrewd and youthful smile, and as soon as the last figure of the Ecouzes was danced through, he clapped his hands at the musicians and called out to the first violin, Semyon, do you know Daniel Cooper? This was the Count's favorite dance, which he had danced when he was a young man. More particularly, it was one of the figures of the Anglaise. Look at Papa! cried Natasha, loud enough to be heard all over the ballroom. She forgot entirely that she was dancing with a grown-up man. She bent her curly head over her knees, and let her merry laugh ring out unchecked. Indeed, all who were in the hall gazed with a smile of pleasure at the jolly man standing with the dignified Marya Dmitrievna, who was considerably taller than her partner, holding his arms in a bow, straightening his shoulders, and turning out his toes, slightly beating time with his foot while a beaming smile spread more and more over his round face, and gave the spectators an inkling of what was to follow. As soon as the merry, fascinating sounds of Daniel Cooper were heard, reminding one of the national dance, the trepaca, all the doors of the ballroom were suddenly filled, on one side by the serving men belonging to the household, on the other with the women, all with smiling faces coming to look at their merry-hearted baron. Ah! "'Our little father, an eagle!' exclaimed an old nurse, in a loud staccato, in one of the doors. The Count danced well, and he knew it, but his partner had absolutely no wish or ability to dance well. Her pretentious form was erect, her big hands hung down by her side. She had handed her reticule to the Countess. Only her stern but handsome face danced. What was expressed in the whole rotund person of the Count— 
was expressed in Marya Dmitrievna merely in her ever more and more radiantly smiling face and loftier lifted nose. But while the Count, growing ever more and more lively, captivated the spectators by the unexpectedness of his graceful capers and the light gambols of his lissom legs, Marya Dmitrievna, by the slightest animation on her part, by the motion of her shoulders, or the bending of her arms in turning about or beating time, produced the greatest impression, for the very reason that everyone always felt a certain awe before her dignity of bearing and habitual severity. The dance grew livelier and livelier. The other dancers could not for an instant attract attention to themselves, and did not even try. All eyes were fastened on the Count and Marya Dmitrievna. Natasha kept pulling at the sleeves and dresses of all who were near her to make them look at her papenka, but even without this reminder they would have found it hard to take their eyes off the two dancers. The Count, in the intervals of the dance, made desperate efforts to get his breath, waved his hands, and cried to the musicians to play faster. Quicker, quicker, and ever quicker, lighter, lighter, and even more lightly, gambled the Count, now on his toes, now on his heels, pirouetting around Marya Dmitrievna, and, at last, having conducted the lady to her place, he made one last paw, lifting his fat leg up from behind in a magnificent scrape, and bowing his perspiring head low, at the same time with a smiling face sweeping his arm round amid rapturous applause and laughter, especially on the part of Natasha. Both of the dancers paused, breathing heavily, and wiping their heated faces with cambric handkerchiefs. "'That's the way we used to dance in our time, mon cher,' said the Count. "'Good for Daniel Cooper,' exclaimed Marya Dmitrievna, drawing a long breath and tucking back her sleeves. End of chapter 18